And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tampering. Aha! People together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Everybody, we don't have to tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with our two regulars back from the All-Star break, one-week hiatus from the pod, Fred Katz on the East Coast, Anthony Slater, normally on the West Coast, now in the middle of the country, I believe. Gentlemen, what's the word? I'm 30 uh, floors up in Minnesota. I could see Target Field and Target Center and this... uh, I was going to say the steaming Timberwolves. They've actually not been playing that well lately, but they're in the seventh seed. Like, what a season for the Timberwolves. What a season. What a season. Anthony Edwards, rising star, cat, all-star. Fred Katz, you don't have a lot of rising stars or all-stars in your uh, Knicks world these days. What's up, buddy? Got a dunk champion. It's like <laughs> it's like the only thing the Knicks have won in weeks. With a terrible food, shooting percentage from the field in those yeah. dunks. But yes. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's extraordinary that I look, I haven't done the math and I don't plan on doing it, but I'm pretty confident that there was a higher field goal percentage in the three point contest than there was in the dunk contest. <laughs> and that is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's also extraordinary. That's a tough word to say to be back with you two guys, uh, you know, and shout out to the one person on Twitter who said they missed us. Just made me happy. It's just good to know that people are listening. Also, person, to my nephew, Travis, who told Sam. me that for, there was two. I got a relative as well. All right. We're, we're, we're in the money here. Um, on this week's pod, as we look at the home stretch of this NBA season, that, guys, I'm legitimately excited for the, the rest of the way. There's a lot to get in here or get into here, which is not always the case this time of year. But here's where we are going to be uh, taking our fine listeners on this episode, we are going to break down the Eastern Conference that has a lot more parity than we are used to and a lot more elite squads than we are used to uh, have some conference finals picks within that. And I would like to chat about one Tamar DeRozan, who's not been getting enough love from me and a lot of others on the MVP front. I want to get your guys' opinions there. We're going to get the obligatory Golden State Warriors update from Mr. Slater because they are going through a lot these days. And he's all over that, as always. And we will break down the Western Conference, but not the top half. I wrote this week, guys, about essentially spots 5 through 10, some news and updates from the Denver Nuggets world, and then I think a good discussion to be had about 
which of those teams is looking capable of making noise early in the playoffs if they end up, uh, you know, not having home court advantage. So that's where we're going this week, guys. Um, the East is wild. I'll start with Philly because we have gotten eyes on James Harden and Joel Embiid together. You know, enough with the backstory from Houston to Brooklyn to Philly for Mr. Harden. He looks incredibly comfortable, incredibly happy. He's got Joel Embiid talking about how he's never been so open. It's a love affair. It's a honeymoon. It's only two games, but a a good start. I don't know which one of you guys wants to go first, but what do you think there? Yeah, I saw him in person on Sunday. Ah, that's Uh, right. Yeah. Nick Sixers at MSG. And I'm seeing him again with Nick Sixers and Phillies on on Wednesday. And the thing, I mean, look, they're they're going to be great together if James Harden plays like the MVP version of James Harden because you have two MVP caliber players playing next to each other and one's a big and one's a guard and that tends to work out pretty great. The thing that I was curious about going into it, quite honestly, wasn't whether James Harden was on the downside of his career as I thought was part of the narrative kind of coming out of Brooklyn, which I think we've now pretty much seen like James Harden looks pretty damn good playing in Philly, coincidentally, as soon as he starts there. The thing that I was curious about was you have a guy that talented at guard and a guy that talented at center. They are probably going to have a great two-man game, but Joel Embiid has never really been a pick-and-roll center. He's a down low in the post center. He's going to pop. He's going to be on the perimeter. Uh, and 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 the Sixers have never really given him a roster to make him that, right? Uh, it was never really that with Ben Simmons. Uh, It was never really that with some of the other guards that he's played with throughout his career. And I was curious to see how that dynamic was going to work, just like what the pick and roll chemistry was going to be or what the high-low chemistry was going to be with with Harden and Embiid. And just like right off the bat, it's like, holy crap. It's like those guys know where the other one is. They are running seamless pick and rolls. Sixers are getting out running like these last two, these first two games with Harden. Like they're they're playing with incredible pace, getting down the floor and finding shooters. And Harden is just making absurd passes once he gets going downhill. They're getting to they're going to break free throw attempt records. That team is going right. to break free throw <laughs> attempt records. They are going to break basketball. Did uh, you see that? I don't know who I don't know who to give credit to on the tweet, but somebody put out that that iconic picture of Jimmy Butler in the finals in 2020 when he's leaning against the stanchion and he is exhausted. And somebody had the caption that said the free throw line five minutes into this Philly game with Joel Embiid and James Harden. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, they, they just, they look as good as you could possibly want with a couple of games played together. And I mean, I think that team is unbelievably dangerous. I'm glad you mentioned Jimmy Butler random or, you know, Sam did within that. Cause you know, Jimmy Butler's form of sabotage in Minnesota remember was the, just like be a, be an ass basically just, um, particularly in a, in a practice setting and just like personality wise, overwhelm the room. It seems to me now through two of these, James Harden's, uh, more passive aggressive approach is just to suck. Just, just start <laughs> sucking, you know, because like we were in that Kings game. He was like horrible. Was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actively horrible. I, I I mean, seems pretty purposeful, right? I mean, remember back to the Houston Remember some of the clips late in his Houston tenure that basically forced the trade, forced Houston to finally make. Remember there was a, the story of like DeMarcus Cousins in the locker room. Oh, like, yeah. Go, yeah. So. No, he he, one hundred percent. I mean, the hamstring. I mean, it's it's pretty rare that you have former players and pretty high profile former players publicly airing 
one of their own out. I think it was Tracy McGrady who said some things, you know, Shaq, I believe, you know, I don't want to put it on the wrong person, but the hamstring, nobody believed that it was actually as big a, a deal as it was. Uh, he was playing terribly. And we've seen that pattern, like you said, Slater, in Houston and Brooklyn. Um, and it is a very different style. Jimmy, as you sit there in Minnesota, you know, famously took on the starters as a member of the second unit and then just gave him kind of the on-court middle finger by actually beating them and then, you know, dropping the mic and leaving the room and yelling at Scott Layden, the GM at the time, and saying, you can't F and win without me. And and that's it. And which then, is, oh, by the which way. Which is, by the way, just to cut it off, that's true. the worst. Well, it's just the worst <laughs> way to get out. You need me. You can't get rid of me. Please get rid of me. Is right. a terrible way to argue. It works. Get depends out. on who. Depends on what organization you're strong arming. You know, if you said that to Daryl Moore, he'd be like, "Factual, sir. That's why yeah, we're trying like, to yeah, sign we you." Well, he That's dropped why we're the not mic. You. Yeah, he dropped the mic in practice, and then he picked it up again to jump on. You know, the jump with Rachel Nichols at the time, and and I think that help kind of grease the wheels for him to, to get out of town. Um, I mentioned it, it. I mentioned it because again, Sam, we were at that Kings game. Like that was one of the worst played basketball games I've seen in a long time. And then, yeah, you're watching. I watched the Minnesota game. Like I think we all did that probably got great ratings on league pass or whatever. And then, yeah, I watched the, the game Fred was at that, that Knicks game and like Harden's so good and masterful with the passes and like some of the stuff that he wasn't even trying to do in Brooklyn or uh, yeah, in Brooklyn, like just hit smart hit ahead passes, like perfect. Tr- At times, I thought he was even overpassing. You could tell he's like almost, tr- you know, trying to create this, uh, you know, I guess team environment early on there, and he's so bought in. And you know, you're also sitting there thinking like, you know, two things go wrong, and suddenly switch is flipped and he's over there you know kind of like wandering around the court barely trying again but right now the way he is clearly bought into the situation and and probably very uh motivated and grateful to daryl morey for for getting this done they they look extremely dangerous no i mean he clearly i mean he quit on houston and brooklyn and i i i can't be a mind reader but it certainly seems as if he in his own mind convinces himself that he was the victim in houston because the way Tillman Fertitta had managed that situation, D'Antoni was gone, you know, things, the wheels were falling off. So I think in his mind, he looked around and said, this isn't what I signed up for anymore. Get me out of here. And then in Brooklyn, you know, it certainly seemed as if he's pointing the finger at, at Kyrie for not getting the, the vaccine and, and not being able to play half the time and then Durant getting hurt. But I mean, you talk about a guy whose optics around him individually are already very challenging and who has no more wiggle room in terms of, I mean, whether you want to use the cliche term of legacy or whatever it might be, um, you know, there's no more room for any of that stuff. He has a long track record of not being able to get to the mountaintop with very high level co-stars. And and so Embiid being as talented as anybody who's ever played with um, is, is, is kind of, I feel like his last stop here. Fred, uh, I'm where you were going to mention a specific play. I'm going to guess which one you were mentioning because I was mentioning yeah. the overpassing when he had a wide open three and he swung it to Matisse Thibel for three. That I had a visceral reaction to that. I did he too. Had a wide open on three. I know he had a he had a he had a wide open three and he swung it to Matisse Thibel who was wide open. And you know what? If I have James Harden and I'm in game two of James Harden and my biggest problem is James Harden is trying to share the ball too much. And look, when James Harden is going at his best, he's isolation heavy and he takes a lot of shots and he plays this boring kind of droning free throw laden style. 
but I don't think he's selfish. Like he's one of the best passers who's ever picked up a basketball. So if your biggest problem is, is James Harden is oversharing. I think your chances of being really good are, are, are pretty high. It, it was a bad mathematical play for him to turn down an open three for a Matisse dive open three, but it did tell me plenty about like what he is trying to do with Philly. Yeah, it speaks to the yeah. human component. All right, it's a bad mathematical play, but Matisse is looking at him like, all right, big fella, I don't need that ball next time, but thank you. I appreciate the spirit behind it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to reference is there was there was a play in that game where Harden is has got the ball going downhill and he's got Embiid rolling to the basket next to him. And, and the Knicks defended it pretty well. They're in position and Harden just ball on his hip just through this absolutely perfect pocket pass that bounced Embiid and Embiid finished at the rim. And those are the sorts of plays where it's like, okay, maybe the best guard off, you know, to be creating stuff off the dribble in the entire league and maybe the best big going at the rim in the entire league. What the hell do you are you going to do if Harden is making those passes? There, I, I just don't know what defenses are going to do about that. And and meanwhile, the defensive capabilities of this team are still really good because Joel Embiid is 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 capable of basically being a one man defense. He's he's just that good. And you still got Danny Green there. You still got Thibault there. Uh, there's still a lot of defensive talent that they put out there. And I just I think this team it, it, like. They they can win the East. We're going to talk about it today. There are yeah, like let's seven go. Let's, teams that that could be in the right. East. Right, we got a lot of finals, ground to but. cover, and I want to I want to pivot off Philly here um, and talk about the the bigger picture in the East because it is wild. Philly has taken up a lot of the oxygen in terms of the conversation because of the trade, but the East is loaded, and as we do this pod, uh, Miami is sitting up top of the East, one game up on the Bulls, the Sixers after that, the Cavs. Coming in fourth, Milwaukee, Boston. Um, normally, I would stop there because Boston's obviously been hot. But Toronto and then after Toronto, we got Brooklyn, which is a total question mark. Ben Simmons, of course, still hasn't played and no uh, clarity yet when he's going to play. Um, how do you guys see the East? We are talking as if Philly could be in the finals and could be the, the best of this bunch. But you know, where else does your guys' uh, minds go? Milwaukee is still the defending champs with issues that, you know, if you want to get into. But um, I think Brooklyn, I mean, we said it at the moment of the trade, really, or our first podcast after. I think Brooklyn and Philly both got better with the Harden trade because obviously, the, you know, Philly wasn't getting anything out of Simmons and Brooklyn was getting whatever the hell that was out of James Harden. Um, and <laughs> I really hung up on that, aren't you? I mean, <laughs> wow. With good that, reason. Yes. With good reason. Yes. Yeah. Um I I think I think it's those three. I think it's Milwaukee just because they've shown it and Giannis is Giannis. And then I think it's it's Philadelphia from what we've already seen. They've they've spiked my expectations even more. And then, you know, that was a nice win by the Nets in Milwaukee the other night. Kyrie has shown, although like I'm trying to get all these rules straight. So now we think Kyrie won't be able to play in home games. Correct. Okay. Because yeah. it keeps going back and forth. My thought has been, and I've said it on this podcast like all along, I think by playoff time he will be. And I still think there's a possibility of that. But that probably dictates whether whether Brooklyn's the real threat because man, how good did he look the other night? I mean, he, like I know he's he's making cameo appearances this season, but every cameo is like really impressive. Thirty eight the other night, 
Durant is about to come back. Simmons at some point. We know Durant, uh, you know, he always comes back from injuries looking like himself. So those are the three, even though I would be talking right now about the third seed, fifth seed, and eighth seed in the East. I think those are the three best teams. Cameo would be a good nickname for Kyrie. That would work well. Uh, there are like seven teams that could win the East. Or, or that could that could get to the Eastern Conference Finals, I should say. And it wouldn't be totally shocking. I mean, Miami looks like a juggernaut right now and is playing better and better. Uh, you mentioned Philly. You mentioned Milwaukee. You mentioned Brooklyn. Um, Boston has been the best team in the conference for two months right now, which is a thing that's kind of gone under the radar. But I'm going to... I'm gonna call this up right now because because I I think I think there needs to be a conversation about what Boston is doing because since January seventh Boston is eighteen and six they have the best record in the East they have a one hundred one point five defensive rating meaning they're allowing a hundred and one and a half points allowed per hundred possessions that's the best number in the NBA over this two month span by six points per hundred so the difference between then and number two is the difference between number two and number 17. Like they have been so by far the best defense in the NBA. It's not even close. And I don't think it's flukish. They're just loaded with defenders. And that Derek White trade made them a lot better. He's looking really good. They have a 13. They're outscoring opponents by 13 points per 100 over this stretch, which is so by far and away the best number in the league. I mean, I think Boston is legitimately good. And I don't know if they're this good, uh, but... But so much of this, because the East is kind of so even, is just going to depend on matchups. If a couple matchups go Boston's way, they stay out of the play-in tournament, which I think they will, Like that, that's a team that has a chance at getting to the conference finals too, no question. Isn't it wild how narratives can change over the course of a year? I mean, that's why, you know, we're guilty of jumping out early and acting as if certain things are set in stone. And, you know, Ime Udoka was struggling conceivably early on as a first-year coach and a guy who had big shoes to fill with Brad Stevens moving up to the front office. And lo and behold, now they just become this, you know, defensive juggernaut. And coaching-wise, it seems like he's pulling all the right strings and 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 they're actually into that kind of East Power type territory. Well, you go you go Derek White and Marcus Smart in your backcourt. That's like right up there is one of the best defensive backcourts in the league. I think them and I mean Chicago is basically been one, two, three in the conference the whole time. And, you know, I think Chicago has the best defensive backcourt in the league when Caruso and Ball are healthy. But, I mean, White and and Smart is right up there. Robert Williams, the third, is just become an absolute monster on the backside. Horford still kills it in terms of his team defense. And the Jays do a good job on the perimeter. Like, they just have so many guys who can just guard their own man and still play team defense. It's just, it's it's wild. They're just loaded with that kind of player, and they're so difficult to score against. And they just seem to be playing on a string right now. And I, I just, I would I would not want to play them. I really think they can beat they can beat a lot of teams in that conference if they get the right matchups. Thoughts on Chicago, gentlemen, uh, as I make my way to the uh, DeRozan conversation? They 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 would have to stay healthy. It's crazy to me that they've maintained in the standings. Like that is an unbelievable uh it's an unbelievable bullet point for DeMar DeRozan's MVP case. Uh he, it's it's incredible that they've maintained in the standings, but I just, they need ball and they need Caruso to be healthy because so much of their defense, like when it comes to going up against top notch elite offenses, 
And Vucevic has actually, I think, been better defensively the last couple of months. But so much of their defense is, you know what? We don't have elite rim protection. So what we're going to do is we are going to just make rim protection unnecessary and make sure you can't get to the rim to begin with. And and Ball and Caruso just terrorize guys in the perimeter and make sure that nobody can even get to the middle or into the paint against them. And, and if they don't have those two guys healthy, I think it's it's a lot more difficult for them. Um, so I, I don't know if I would pick them to do it, but like, like Cleveland, I mean, do you think Cleveland is, is capable of making a run? Like, could they be like, like last year's Hawks? I'm a Cavalier skeptic. I mean, could could the Hawks make a run? That's the same core basically. Uh, I mean, maybe, I guess, I don't know. I'm a Cleveland skeptic kind of. How comes later? I, uh, I'm not sure they're going to be able to score enough in the playoffs. Um, you know, they kind of have a odd lineups there to me, kind of a difficult team to play in a regular season setting where you're not as not nearly as much scheming for a specific team, right? You're just arriving in a city like who we got tonight. Okay. Boom. Let's play this team. Oh, this is different. Um, they just, they, they, they scream more of a regular season team to me, a younger core that, uh, is on the rise that I, I do think will, uh, you know, they have a very good future. I just, I don't see them particularly in the way the East is looking. Part of the reason I think if the Hawks made that surprising run last season is that, you know, the path cleared for them. Philly melted down with the Ben Simmons situation. Um, the, the Knicks, sorry, Fred, were, were, were never a threat. I think that, I think we've learned that this season in, in the playoffs. So that just, it opened wide open for Atlanta to make an East finals. Cleveland's going to have to go through a gauntlet to get to an East finals. And I just think they'll be able to be schemed up by pretty much all of those teams. And they're almost in a different way. Like the Knicks to me this season, very good regular season. Bickerstaff should be in the coach of the year conversation, but I think they're a first round and out. Yeah, I probably agree with you. I mean, it's gonna to me, it's gonna be hard for the Cavs to not, you know, go in satisfied already as they enter the playoffs because of this is kind of what happens when a team plays over its head or or even just as unexpectedly as as uh, as they have. Um, they don't seem to have that Grizzlies type of we want all the smoke vibe that I think you know might compel you to to pull off an upset in the first round. But they're good. They they have that great future, and and the fact that it's even a sports radio hot talk debate about whether or not they should even want LeBron James to come back because so many good things are going on in Cleveland is indicative of, uh, of the mood out there. They're better and than the, the Lakers. They are indeed. I'll say they that. They are indeed. Um, I keep pivoting back to this. My two cents on DeRozan real quick is that as we've talked about MVP, and this is not an MVP pod, but it's, you know, I think we're going to jam this in a little bit, is for me, and I've written this, I've said this, I have a well-chronicled, you know, pet peeve with a lot of the national discussion that has Joel Embiid out front as if it's not even close. And I don't know why that has been the case. Uh, You're seeing it a lot of places. And yes, I don't need to tiptoe around. ESPN for sure has been a lot of that. Um, Jokic is normally the guy who I'm reminding folks that he's right there, if not number one. And then to me, you know, Giannis had been right there as well. But DeMar's candidacy is... I, I think I was a little slow to uh, to really kind of give him his just due and realize that he's right there. It's 28, 5, and 5, roughly, in terms of his production. Fred, you mentioned the narrative when it comes to Zach Levine being out, you know, here and there, Caruso being out, uh, Lonzo being out, and these guys just keep winning ball games. Clutch time probably doesn't have any peers in terms of, you know, back-to-back game-winning shots, you know, incredible in terms of efficiency. 
at that time. And then even the the macro discussion of this league that has been leaning so far into analytics for so long now and, and you know, the extreme of everything at the rim and everything from long range, you know, DeMar's kind of one man ability to revive the, the mid range lifestyle, if you will, is, uh, is another little twist on it. So I think for sure, uh, I don't know who, who the MVP is right now. It's, I, I probably, you know, I think for me, it's probably still Jokic, but I think DeMar is right there. I think he's, on, I think he's on ballots. I think he's on the ballot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I would have Jokic too. Um, also, you, you know, mean? to yeah, I would have Jokic first. I mean, to me, I think if you're going to make the Demar argument, I, I think the greatest way to do it is, and I think I've read Demar's clutch numbers on the podcast before, but I don't care. I'm giving an updated version now because <laughs> they're they're unbelievable. He's averaging 43 points per 36 minutes in clutch time. That's when the. He's averaging 43 points per 36 minutes when a game is within five points with five or fewer minutes to go. And that's obscene. 43.2 to be specific. It's second in the NBA. The problem with that, as using that as his MVP case, is that the guy who's number one, two-tenths of a point ahead, is Joel Embiid, who's doing it at a very similar efficiency to DeMar. But that being said, he's got all the game winners. 43 points per 36 when your team needs it the most matters. I understand that clutch time performance doesn't necessarily project into the future, but you vote on MVP based on what happened, not what would happen if you simulated out the season 100 times. And what happened is DeMar has gotten ginormous buckets as his team has needed it the whole time. His efficiency in those moments has gone through the roof. He's got 67% true shooting in those moments. I mean, it's crazy. He's been extraordinary this year. I mean, I think the thing that sets it apart for him is that he's he doesn't have the defensive impact that any of the three guys, including Jokic, uh, that you mentioned have. I mean, Giannis is a defensive player of the year candidate. Embiid is an all-defense guy. And uh, you know, Jokic, I think, is very he's he's become a legitimately good defensive center and has made huge clutch time like defensive plays with blocks and all of that. So no, I, I agree. And I was actually you're dropping knowledge left and right here on the DeRozan front. I was trying to cheat and see where the Bulls were at in a uh, defensive rating, not to necessarily paint DeRozan as any kind of defensive stopper, but to see, you know, you know how it is. Like if the defense is mediocre on that side and good enough, then you don't lose votes. You know what I mean? So as we sit That's, here, I mean, it's hard to remember way back in preseason, you know, the but 20th, that, that was what everyone said, like would make them like, not even a playoff team was right. the fact that they had DeRozan, Vucevic, uh, kind of, you know, Levine as their core. Well, three. and they have, I mean, the fact that they've fallen to 20th is a little rough. So I would say that's a, yeah. a market. I mean, against. look, they lost, they lost their two best defenders. They did. Like yeah. that's yeah. tough. And, and, and they, they, they've kind of needed another center and they lost Pat Williams too at the beginning of the year. So it's like, that's tough. Those are their defensive-minded guys, and and they were a defense who was really reliant on two guys in Caruso and Ball. And when you don't have those guys, you're you're gonna fall off. Like I think DeRozan should be. Like I, I don't think I'll have a vote this year, but he would be on my ballot. I mean, I would I would have him probably fourth if right. I had to throw it right, in right, right now, which is pretty damn great. Like it's he's been unbelievable this year. He's no he's doubt certainly All NBA. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and then a natural segue on the other side of this pause. Uh, let's dive into Mr. Jokic a little bit and the Denver Nuggets. We're going to go west, talk about impact teams on that side of the ledger, and then get to Slater's Warriors 
for an update on the state of affairs there. We will be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfume, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, gents, let's keep it moving and go out west here. On the newsy front with the Nuggets, you know, all season long, we have wondered without any clarity at all if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., uh, who, of course, had to get back surgery later in the season, his third one, if they were going to rejoin the team. If if the, as the playoffs got near, if they were going to you know, kind of have reinforcements coming in with two of their top three players as Nikola Jokic carried the squad, uh, you know, as, as well as he could. And he's done that incredibly well. Um, still no total clarity, but what I came out of the Nuggets experience learning is that for one, I watched Jamal and Michael work out for probably about an hour before they played the Kings. Opposite ends of the Golden One Center floor, uh, I actually enjoyed the heck out of just trying to get a sense of where they're at. So Michael looked like he was about to go play that night. He's moving pretty well. You know, he's he's flaring all all around the uh, the perimeter, hitting threes, doing his thing. Um, Jamal was, was more interesting and he was on the, the closer side of the court to me where working with assistant coaches, uh, three of them, you know, operating through traffic, doing things that you would do in a game, but doing them probably at two thirds speed, if, if that, you know, and I found myself looking at him going, okay, you see a little extra weight that I think he's going to want to probably get rid of. You're seeing the pop is, is not there, but you don't know if it's there because, or if it's not there because of and he's taking his time or if that's just where he's at. Uh, nonetheless, the mood coming out of the locker room, as you guys know, you you always have kind of two layers to these the messaging when it comes to an injured player. You have the organizational stance, which is the Nuggets, with good reason, are being very, very sensitive to the idea that they don't want to apply pressure to Jamal and Michael, and they continue to just downplay expectations. In the locker room, though, you have teammates and coaches and everybody involved with the team where they want to know the truth, you know, like, are we going to get these guys or not? And this is not a declaration of any kind, but the the messaging a hundred percent was that they expect those guys back. Now, Michael is ahead of Jamal um, and, and is on track for mid to late March coming back. And then Jamal has still got to get through this final phase. You know, I think, you know, if he stayed on track, it would be a near the playoffs type of thing. But there's a ton of ifs there, but you start looking at it going, man, I mean, they're within striking distance of the fourth spot right now, even without those guys. Uh, those would be two uh, you know, pretty high-end additions at the right time. It's interesting you mentioned the the extra weight that maybe Jamal Murray's trying to uh, you know, shed before fully being cleared. Just my eyeball test, but yeah, that's what well, I saw. 
so I sat down with Clay Thompson right before the All Star break to you know talk about many things. But one of the things he mentioned to me was the fact that it, first time around, his first injury was an ACL tear, similar to Murray's. Um, he was a, a he thought about eight to ten pounds too heavy. He said he usually plays mid season NBA. He's around two sixteen to two twenty. He was playing off an ACL tear because in the ACL rehab you're not running a bunch, but you're doing a lot of like weightlifting, strengthening exercises. He he estimated he was about two twenty six, two twenty seven. That probably you know chain reaction tore his Achilles. Um and and he was very re- he's regretful. He doesn't like to think about it that darkly, but he's very regretful of that decision. Uh, late in the process where he was cleared to play five on five, he was you know we're talking uh, at that point he was probably thirteen fourteen months post uh, ACL tear. But just like that late stage rehab process is very tricky, and there's so much biomechanics going on where like look the 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 joints healed. It's not about the knee necessarily. It's just about the body getting back. So um, you know I would. That sounds maybe it's surprising because one is a back, which is usually tricky. The other is a knee, which is usually more straightforward. But it does sound like Murray, you know, reading what you're writing is um, it's a lot more up in the air if we'll actually see him. And he's the bigger one to me. Yeah, I I mean, I was struck by the level of confidence from uh, the locker room where it was like, no, they're they're coming back. That's, you know, but yeah, you got to qualify that. I mean, again, I'm not a scout, but I was watching. And I even put up some video. I'd be curious if you guys took a peek at the video, what you saw, even in the 30 seconds that that is on there. Um, the thing with Jamal, as you guys know, is that you talk about his normal job description, the workload that he carried back when he was healthy. Uh, it's a whole lot different than being Michael Porter Jr. and being asked to stretch the floor, cut a little bit, you know, be sound on defense. Jamal was right there with Joker when it comes to carrying the load. And you simply can't have him playing that kind of a role, you know, given everything his body's been through. If you tell me Michael Porter Jr. is back for the playoffs, I view Denver much as I viewed them last season. Can win around. Joe, uh, you know, Jokic is dangerous, but ultimately they're not going to beat a team like Phoenix, right? They had Porter Jr. They had Jokic. They got swept by Phoenix. If they have Murray, they're more of, a bubble threat where they went to the West finals. They took the Lakers to six games. Like they were a legitimate championship contender. So that's a monster difference, and, but it can't be just having Murray back. It's got to be having like really good Jamal Murray back. That's where, that's where I'm more skeptical. That's where I do view them more as a next season threat and man, the West sets up next season. If all of the Clippers guys are back, if all the Nuggets guys are back, like that could just be, you know, a gauntlet next season in the West. Uh, and I, but at the same time, look, at, you know, we're probably about to talk about the Warriors. Um, you know, right now the Warriors are trying to hold off Memphis just so the Warriors could stay at the two and, and face, you know, Timberwolves, Clippers, winner of the play-in probably would be who's going to be sitting at seven. Well, if you fall to three, what if you do get a Denver team with, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray as a first-round opponent? That could be a huge difference between two and three in the West. And, right, and right, while right. I don't necessarily think Denver's about to rattle off and go win a title, it does change the landscape completely, just the idea that these two might be able to come back. Fred, as we quickly make our way to Slater's Warriors, um, if you're looking at Dallas, which just came back on Golden State on their home floor and is playing really well, um, if you are looking at Minnesota, the Clippers were going to put on the side because they don't expect, I mean, they're, they're playing good ball. They won five out of six and, and not to speak for the two of you, but I think we can unofficially table them because if you're not getting anybody back, 
than in terms of the threat. Um, it's There's kind of a ceiling on it, in my opinion. But Minnesota has had dangerous moments. Anthony Edwards has it, it been inconsistent, you know, looking like an absolute star and then, you know, having single-digit scoring nights. Um, you know, that's something he's got to work on. You've got, I mean, the Lake Show is a train wreck, so let's table them. The Pelicans coming out of nowhere. They start 3-16, and 16, now find themselves in the 10th spot. You know, Brandon Ingram playing great ball. Valanciunas, uh, Herb they, Jones, all, they all the just, whole crew. They just beat the Suns in Phoenix and then went and embarrassed the Lakers in state. Embarrassed, yeah. I mean, Jeannie Buss was leaving when they were down 25. The Lakers, you guys see the video? Brandon of the, Ingram has had a hell of a year. He has. He That's got to feel good hurt. for him, by the way, last His night. His passing has hit a new level. I I remember, when was it? It must have been his second season when Lonzo got hurt and he had to step in at point guard. And that was kind of the first time we saw Brandon Ingram like kind of lead an offense and 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 really show off the way he could like pass while facilitating an offense. And like he's just he's hit a whole new level as a passer. I think he's like one of the better passing wings in the league now. He's 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 having a great year. He's become a hell of a player. So Fred, out of that bunch, who does who does your uh, your scouting eye gravitate towards when we're talking about you know capable of of pulling off a, a first round upset? Um, I don't know. Not really anybody. I mean, I guess if I have to choose somebody in the play in range. No, I mean, I'm talking for, you know, five, six, two Dallas is in there, Minnesota. Okay. If Dallas, if, if Dallas is in there, then, then I guess Dallas, it's Dallas, um, Denver, it's Dallas, Denver, five, yeah. six. To me, the conference completely drops off once you yeah, get a hundred percent. I thought we were talking play in range games. Cause I was, I was about to say something horribly regrettable and, and say the answer is the Lakers because at least maybe LeBron goes off in a series. I mean, I think the answer, I think the answer if we're including Denver is, is, is Denver. If they get one of those guys, even just one of those guys back, like they, probably have the best player in any series that they play in. Uh, and if you add Michael Porter Jr. to the mix, if Jokic is just able to go off and and play it, you know, his A level, I think he they can he can win you a series. And I kind of feel similarly about Doncic in a in a in a series as well. I think Dallas has looked a lot better lately. Um and so maybe maybe that's it. I mean, but I think I think the answer is Denver if we're if we're including them. In the playing range, I don't know. I, I don't see Minnesota is really fun to watch, but defensively they don't have it, and they're 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 young and and inconsistent. And the Clippers don't have the firepower with the guys hurt, and the Lakers are just so disappointing. Uh, and 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 you know the Pelicans just they don't they don't have that that talent level. Um, so I, I wouldn't say any of those. Fair enough. All right, let's jump in um, with our second break real quick, Slater, and we will get to you on the Warriors on the back end of this pause. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do. 
so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Slater, for the home stretch here, fittingly, we are going to talk about your Warriors. And then, Fred, I didn't plug it at the top, and that was my mistake. But we are going to talk about your Knickerbockers. Um, and get into uh, your kind of sad basketball world that you've been covering of late. But first, Mr. Slater, no sadness from the Warriors, but not as much happiness as there used to be. Uh, Draymond Green remains out. Uh, Clay Thompson, what? And I should know this. What did Clay miss with the other night? What's going on with Clay? General illness. He was sick, non-COVID. Um, okay. At least as of this point, they expect him to, to rejoin them soon. Okay, so um, a humbling couple of nights. Uh, for the Warriors, um, where are they at and what is going on with Draymond in terms of this murky, fuzzy, unclear timeline? Well, they're two and five in their last seven. Um, the feeling was not only not having Draymond or Andre Iguodala, um, that, you know, a lot of that was before the break. And maybe getting the break would refresh them and they'd come out uh, with a little bit more spirit. And they really did in Portland playing, you know, obviously a a tanking Blazers team. But they beat them by like, I think it was 37. Um, Steph looked refreshed, I think, bouncing off that that All-Star Game MVP. Um, Some of the older guys looked a a little bit better. And then they come into their second game out of the break against Dallas at home and really blowing Dallas out. They're up 21 all game again Steph looks good uh, and then they melted down and you're mentioning you know the humbling nature of it and the repetitive nature of it I should say also um, because they blew a big lead to to Denver the night you were there that was right before the break you're right I'm skipping over the Portland win but yes I was referencing Denver and Dallas yeah yeah and you know those are separated by probably what 10 days or so because one was the last game before the break one was this one but it played out similarly and that's their last two home games they blew huge leads and melted down in the fourth quarter last night they didn't make a shot in the fourth quarter for an eight minute 29 second stretch they 26 to one run from Dallas. Um, and you know, their offense is an issue, uh, more than their defense. Their defense still ranked number one in the league, even though it has been, you know, obviously a lot worse without Draymond green. That is the big factor in all this to me. A lot of the issues we can, we could kind of, uh, really dissect can be solved by Draymond green. When will they see Draymond green? He, had an extended all-star break because he actually went to the all-star game, was part of the broadcast, uh, said on the broadcast he thought he was three to four weeks away, while also saying his explosiveness at that point was similar to Kenny the Jet Smith running to the the, the video board. So that was probably not a good comment for, for Warriors fans. But um, he then went to Mexico and actually didn't even meet the team in Portland. He kind of got an extended break, reappeared on Friday, and did his first real strenuous on-court activity that I've seen that, that anybody's seen and um, does sound like he's trending in a better direction has not been cleared for contact. You're going to probably wall probably know more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, he needs to advance to a scrimmage setting, but if he's still a mid March, late March type of return, 
I think they have a solid enough runway to, to reintegrate him. And, and they're just as much the title threat as we thought they were. But it is an injury that has been very tricky to manage because it is, it's about his, the strength in his calf, which is the problem that he's feeling. But it is because of like a disc in his lower back spine and the way that those kind of tie together. And it's just, it, it's gone really slow. The rehab has crawled, um, but it is. He says he's in a much better place now, and and as of now, anyone you talk to is all still talking with the expectation that come you know April whatever, April fifteenth, game one tips off. Draymond Green is playing thirty five minutes, and he's their ferocious small ball center down the stretch, and and they're just the threat that they were. But we've got to see it. You kind of answered my question already. So it sounds as if in terms of the mood and the mojo, if you will, that they do feel like these are all, you know, while they didn't want to blow the lead to Dallas or Denver and they want to win more games, that these are it's mostly the product of the absences and that they're going to be the same dangerous team when they're finally whole. Yeah, I mean, you know, him getting his 35 minutes solves a lot of their interior issues that they've shown because, you know, there's the idea of like, you know, they don't have the interior uh, oomph that they had previously. Well, that's Draymond, right? He is the guy that when they're facing Jokic in that Denver game, he's the one battling Jokic one-on-one so they don't have to double team. So Steph doesn't have to dig down and give up an open three. Uh, Offensively, he organizes them. Uh, along with Andre Iguodala and, you know, clutch time. He's the one that, I mean, he, I mean, he's their engine. He's their second best player. He's the second best player on a title contender. Any of these teams without their second best player are, are lost a little bit. And, and they've been, uh, you know, they're still winning plenty of games. They actually had a nine game winning streak without him at one point, but um, they're a little bit lost right now. Not they're probably, you know, they're a mediocre team. It's why they, Shouldn't be worried about what's above them right now, Phoenix. If they had won last night, they would only be five behind Phoenix. Uh, but they're not catching Phoenix. They need to worry about what's below them. Memphis is one and a half back. Memphis is charging. That you know, on the at stake there is potentially home court in the second round. But also, as we were mentioning earlier, you're probably getting a lot tougher first round opponent if you're three. So that's the drama: is the the two three seeding, and then also when and where do we see Draymond Green? Fred, uh, you have work to do on the Knicks beat, so I want to make sure I get to you before you have to go. Uh, It's not the kind of work that Knicks fans were hoping back when Bing Bong became a thing at the beginning of the season. Um, What a time. Yeah, what a time. So since, here's my little tip. What a two-day streak (laughs) to start the season. Tidbit for the day, A win over the Celtics in overtime. Somebody screamed bing bong, and then it went all <laughs> downhill after that. Who That dude jinxed it. and Go back. Take care of him. Maybe you can set the record straight and get it on the good track. All right. Since, uh, since January 16th, when the Knicks were 22-21 and 21 after a win over Atlanta, they are 3-16, and 16, or is that 3-18? and 3-18 and 18 with the league. No, 3-15. 20... Three, three Why am I? Uh, They've lost 15 out of 18. 15 out of 18. Good job, math students. Uh, three and fifteen with the league's twenty sixth worst net rating. Um, there's a few directions we could go. I'm going to be the national guy and go to the news and say, "What is Tom Thibodeau's level of job security and what lies ahead for him?" Uh, it's not great. That was a long I mean, pause. <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Smoke volumes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not betting on. I'm not betting on him 
being safe at all. Like I think the seat is is warm. We can debate like levels of heat, whether it's boiling, whether it's just like one of your heat. I think it's more than like a heated car seat where it's hot, a hot seat, but it's comfortably hot. I think it's like the 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 car seat is like broken. You're like, oh god, we got to take this in. You know, this Slater like has a Tesla. Me. I put him out there like that. You know, they have uh, they have like somebody various- else on this podcast has a Tesla too. I Sam. didn't say that. No, but you know, it, it has like levels to the seat warmer. I think there's five. So you know, is is Tibbs heated Tesla seat at like a three? Is it at a four? I think I think he's. I mean, I mean, I, I I don't use heated seats to be clear because they <laughs> they make my butt numb when I get out and go into the cold. As if but I'll Elon tell you this much: free advertising I, here. I think I think his I think his bum is numb. That's what I think when he's going out into the cold because it's so it's so warm. Yes, I think he is. Have we officially we've gone from Bing Bong to bum is numb? Bum is numb. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think there's a ton of security there. They they had expectations for this season to stay competitive. And right now they are just nowhere near it. Um, you know, uh, SMY reported a couple of weeks ago about kind of, uh, you know, internal strife within that organization. Uh, William Wesley, who's the number two in the front office, blaming Tibbs in conversations with their owner, James Dolan, about, you know, with the direction the season has gone. They're 11 games under 500 at the time we're recording this. It's going to get worse. Their upcoming schedule is a disaster. They have the fourth hardest schedule, remaining strength of schedule in the league, but their upcoming next eight games or seven games are are a disaster. I mean, they have a seven-game road trip coming up. Their only sub-500 opponent on that seven-game road trip is Sacramento, and that's on the second half of a back-to-back. I mean, there's a world and in which- And you don't want to see the Kings and Golden One. Sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> the revamped kings i'll be at that game i actually might be uh, too fred before you gotta go but um oh i don't have to i don't have to go for for a couple i thought you had okay no 405 we got some time got it go ahead um, i cut you off then. but there's there's a world where they lose their next seven and and they're 18 games sub 500 uh and you know tibbs is there with a defensive reputation right now they're middle of the pack defense the offense hasn't changed. Uh, their crunch time offense is a massive problem. It goes stagnant. They've blown massive leads. I mean, they let go of a 28-point lead to the Nets last week. They let go of a 21-point lead in LA earlier this month. They let go of a 23-point lead in Portland earlier this month. Uh, they seem to be unraveling. Evan Fournier said after the game the other day that they've they've lost. They just don't have their confidence right now. Um, I, could, I could see... I'm not saying a change will definitively be made, uh, but if they lose 50 games after starting 22 and 21, which is, it's in the cards. Like they could lose 50 for sure. Uh, If they lose 50 games, I mean, this is not a place known for its patience. And I'm not close to it, but when you also add in subplots like the Cam Reddish trade, where it just exposed the fact that the front office and the coaching staff were not on the same page, those are the types of, in terms of the internal dynamics, those are the types of things that don't typically lead to uh, good places for the coach. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like they traded a first round pick for Cam Reddish and, and, and I've written like they knew that Tibbs wasn't a fan of that trade when they made it uh, and, and they went through with it anyway. And, 
And Tibbs, when everybody is healthy, still hasn't played Cam Reddish after they they traded a protected first. And he lost to bring his in guy. Reddish. I mean, Derrick Rose being out, of course, is a huge blow. Mm-hmm. And and totally. then to me, you also have they knew when they hired him that I mean, nobody burns hotter than Tibbs. And and you know, fair or not, I think he's a very good coach. But yes, there is a track record of, you know, there's kind of like dog years with being coached by Tibbs. And it, and look, there's. You mentioned you, you said a phrase there I think is important in all of this because I think Tibbs is going to take a lot of blame for this season and and a lot of it is deserved but I don't know I'm a, I'm a big believer that you you can't get angry at someone for being who they are sure. when at the time of giving them the job you knew who they were right and I don't know if there is a more known commodity amongst head coaches in the NBA than Tom Thibodeau like everyone, whether you know him personally or whether you're just a fan who has rooted for a team that he's coached, like everyone knows how he operates. They know his relationships with front offices in the past. They know how intense he gets. They know how he prefers veterans, how he how he coaches every game like it's a game seven, even if it's a random February game for a, a bad team when you're playing the Pistons, you know, like it. He does not change his, they know he prefers rim protection over all else, even at the risk of taking away other things. Like I just, there is, there is something on the front office here too. If Tibbs gets let go for just being Tibbs, when remember the front office that brought him in, Leon Rose heading it, ran the basketball division at CAA previously, which is the the uh, agency that represents Tibbs, like part of the reason that he was brought in was because of those past relationships. If anyone knows what Tom Thibodeau is like, it's the guy who ran the basketball division at the agency who represented him. Well, I'm sure you can, you can take all these questions and present them with Leon in your next robust, long (laughs) sit down media session that he does. Right. Right. I'm sure that'll be coming, but, but I mean, look, even if you think all the criticism of, of Tibbs are valid, they were a part of who he was throughout his career, and the Knicks still chose to bring him in. And if they, if they regret that after two years, or if if uh, you know there's there's enough of a disconnect with the front office after two years, it's like well, part of that is on the front office that hired him too, sure. right? Like I don't think it's all just on what, and part of it's on the players. Like a lot of those guys have not performed the way they have in years past. They they have sporadic effort problems and Julius Randle's had a down year. And I don't think it's just on one guy, but often the coach is the one who takes the majority of the criticism in these situations, especially in, you know, with this organization. You they've just had rotating coaches for, you know, 20 years. Two steps back, personalities to the side. It actually probably is good for them if they lose seven in a row. If they crumble down to like fourth, fifth best lottery odds, get themselves a Apollo Banchero, Chet Holmgren, something like that. So it's it's just it's crazy how the NBA world works where, yeah, I mean, like all the personalities at play are like leading to like this, you know, r- tough moment, but they probably should lose. It'd be better for the franchise. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. They all will, very will, good points. We'll see if they do it. Very good points. And as a side note, I would highly recommend to the listeners that they don't Google Fournier unraveling. Don't do that. <laughs> what are you doing, Sam? I couldn't resist. It's, it's ever since I came out of Fred's mouth, that's all I could think about. All right, gents. On that 
junior high school note. Uh, it was good to be back with you again. We'll be uh, back next week. Slater, stay warm in Minnesota. What's the temp out there, buddy? That's like 27, which is uh, better than Cleveland. It was last it's time better than Cleveland. Ooh, uh, we should ask you about that, but in another time. Yes, Cleveland was chilly. All right, gents, Fred, uh, look forward to your work as always. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.